Mr. Robot, Season 3, Episode 7 is over, but we're just getting started talking about it here on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Wiggler. Antonio Mazzaro is here as well. And by Juanita Rosenberg's J-Date profile, you shall be avenged. Oh, my God. <laughs> You're not even Jewish. Wait, you are Jewish-ish. Oh, my God. Uh, spoiler alert. Spoiler yeah. alert. If you have not watched Season 3, Episode 7 of USA Network's Mr. Robot, get out of here now. We're about to spoil some stuff. We're about to really deeply spoil stuff. If you are accidentally in this podcast and you are not caught up on Mr. Robot, we're going to launch into a real heartbreaker in about five, four, three, two, one. Oh, Mobley. <laughs> Mobley and Trenton. Like, just I know. A, I love oh, Trenton, too, oh, but our son, our son. Our son. He deserved more than to be dead in Arizona. You know, it's funny. Last week when you and I spoke with Cora Donna on our podcast post-episode six, Curse his I name. Believe, Curse his name. I, I believe I said to Cora uh, that if they harmed a hair on Mobley's head, uh, that I would be done covering Mr. Robot. Fidelio. And... You know, I don't know. This might be the last podcast on Mr. Robot I ever did. Wow. 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 Strong words. That, that is uh, <laughs> that is very. Let's just put this Mr. Robot podcast on the dash. Eh? Eh, eh, eh. Yeah, that's tough to handle. It, it's I, we this is the thing. We morbidly decided at the end of our feedback show, which, by the way, if you didn't hear it, you should always say stay subscribed so you don't miss an episode of what we do. Post show recaps dot com slash robot. But we talked about. A death draft. We morbidly drafted characters who would die. There's probably been a uh, death certificate signed for Trenton and Mobley since the middle of last season. Uh, after Romero died, we wondered about this. We, we probably should have included both of these two in our death draft, Josh. Yeah, well, I think that you and I really didn't want to believe that this is going to yes. happen. I mean, the writing really has been on the wall, and I'm not just talking about DDP's whiteboard, uh, whiteboard. on Mobley and Trenton for a while. Uh, but I, I don't know. I just, I really, I really thought, I really thought that they'd be okay. Uh, you know, Mobley and Trenton really, and, and I, and I wrote this to Core for our column this week, which uh, I do not have those answers yet uh, from Core, so I'm still waiting to hear from him officially on this episode. But I described them. As as like the twin-headed Hurley of Mr. Robot. You know, these are these are two characters that are just like they were they were good. Yes, they were involved in F society, but they were like bright, hopeful people. Uh, they'd gotten out of here, they'd gotten to Arizona. The end of season two, the very final scene of season two, leaves them in jeopardy because they're being lorded over by Leon. But they're also talking about putting the toothpaste back in the tube, basically, and can we undo the effects of five nine? And you're just waiting for something big to really be happening with them um and something big happened with them they oh, both yeah. got killed and not only that you know to to add insult to injury they got pinned for the stage two terrorist attacks they have the deaths of thousands of people falsely assigned to their names it's horrible what a brutal brutal send-off for these characters yeah this is characters are not welcome here this is not the blue skies <laughs> network anymore this is rough and ddp has stated what she thinks that white rose is just going to get away with it so it seems like that may be happening that that we maybe have pinned this attack on trenton and mobley there the iranian heritage of trenton is coming into play um, yeah it makes I, sense in terms of what they were setting up yeah it's just uh, this I, I i guess this is something that had been in the works ever since the end of season two 
as far as White Rose's planning goes. It actually seems like that scene, the post credit scene of season two, may have taken place in a slightly different timeline. By that, I mean it might have taken place during the events of this season, that that might have been a flash forward at the time. Yeah, that's my read on that. Yeah, because it seems like they went right from the fries where Leon shows up to the apartment where Leon has either already murdered uh, Mobley's friend or immediately does so. And there's not like it's not like Leon's been chilling at that apartment with a dead body with Trenton and Mobley for weeks on end. So I think this is yeah. happening at the same time. So we wondered at, at that at the time of that scene, like, do they have a larger part in the story? If Leon wanted them dead, they would have been dead right away. Leon even says that to him during the episode. And yet by the end of this episode, Josh, horrific things have happened. Yeah, it's really brutal. Uh, <laughs> it's tough. It's really tough. You know, the end of episode six was such a gut punch uh, with, you know, this really triggering attack that has taken place across the country with 71 buildings blowing up in an instant. Um, and just like imagining that devastation, I think it's it's it was a really, a really dark thing to consider. And man, episode seven really does not help matters much. And what's fascinating to me about the episode is that you know, it plays kind of light in the Mobley and Trenton scenes for so much of the episode where, yeah, they are, you know, they're Leon's captives. But I think with Leon, we're like a little bit, you know, um, I think our guard is down with Leon to a degree because of that scene from earlier in the season in episode three, where we're, where we're checking in with him through Irving going to the prison and talking to Leon and Leon talking about how, like, I respect life and all and I'm not really into murdering and everything we're like, oh, nice. That means that Mobley and Trenton might be okay here. So I don't know about you. But like I was definitely feeling uh, confident about their survival odds from that situation. And now to kind of, um, you know, to not only have them like in those scenes where like um, Trenton is so capable that she's able to pick the lock on her handcuffs and she's able to get out of that. But uh, she's not able to drive them out of there because as a native New York City resident, she does not have her driver's license. What you get. (laughs) New Yorkers, get your driver's license. Important stuff. You want to have that life skill for sure. you know, there's just a, there's a lot of comedy in those scenes, even though they are dangerous. I think on that first watch, not knowing what's going to happen to them, to me, like I'm I'm seeing it all as like I'm I'm waiting, like okay, so what does the Dark Army want with them? Because I'm not thinking that they are going to be marked for death. And even in that whole scene towards the end of the episode, you know, right at the end of the episode, when um, when Grant as uh, as the actor is named, and I believe the character has been referred to as Grant White Rose's partner, um, you know, when when Grant is talking about sacrifice and you know sacrificing your life is the greatest thing that you can do for a cause because it means that you're willing to give everything i really thought what was going to happen was uh that the swat was the swat teams were going to come in they were going to kill the dark army people grant was talking about sacrificing himself and mobley and trenton would get uh, would get captured they would get apprehended and I didn't have time to process the illogical nature of that thinking that that was the way it would go because why would the dark army hand these people over to the authorities alive if they really weren't the architects of the plan like it was starting in, to come into focus of course once they put the bolo out and make it clear that Moby and Trenton are the two people that are being blamed for the stage two attack um I just I didn't process it until the you know the SWAT officers they come into the room and they see the bodies on the ground. I'm like, oh my god, you actually did it! Um, and not even like showing the act of them getting killed right. too. You know, like they walk you right I, up to it. 
Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I don't know, well, man. The way that was, bummer, you're real right. bummer. It was, it was not. It was more of a bummer because of everything you're saying. Because you're right. It played for comedy. I mean, Trenton crashing the car was funny. Leon saying, "Like, how can you do that to a caddy?" It's funny. Everything you know, calling that was them the George and Elaine of uh, yes. Mr. Robot. Yeah, like that. That was all. Which funny. is a great observation too. <laughs> the the J date jokes that are happening in the backseat right. of the Cadillac. Funny, like funny, 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 and then not so funny anymore. Like then. It it is very much a gut punch because you think that the SWAT team is arriving at the very last moment to save Mobley from the forced suicide or whatever's happening there. And it, that's all happened already. It's uh, a real gut punch. It's a gut punch to everyone involved. Clearly, the characters like we don't know how Darlene is going to react to this. We didn't see Darlene see that Trent and Mobley were put up to or were, were, were presented as the face of this attack. We haven't seen Elliot recognizing that they were put up at the face as the face of this attack but these are two more victims for them and these are two more very personal victims uh, Elliot and Darlene will know that the Dark Army did this I think but I think that they will also know that the dark, that they are partially responsible uh, if you think back to season two I can't remember exactly what episode it was in it was in either episode seven or eight where we saw the the recruiting the recruitment the scene where Mobley and Trenton meet for the first time and we immediately see their dynamic being established where Trenton is the smart one. And she just basically pones Mobley with the cell phone speed thing. And it's at the other Ron's coffee shop. And Darlene shows up. They thought they were going to meet Elliot, but they're meeting Darlene in that scene. And you remember, like, they, they, they were brought into the fold by Darlene and Elliot. And they, they were following his cause. And they didn't need to fall. They didn't need to fall down for this. They didn't need to be the ones to take the fall for this. And yet they are. And we remember seeing Trenton family we remember them being so concerned about this at the end or at, in the middle at the beginning of, sorry at the beginning of season two when everything was happening with Romero and the fallout from that the third episode so we have personally bonded with these characters let alone the fact that Mobley looks like an amalgamation of the two of us and it, it's rough to see him taken off the board in this way even though this is a season where we already lost Joanna Wellick and we've killed thousands of unnamed people this one feels like a, a really like 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 you, the death of the innocents, if you will. Like these people, yeah, they took down the world economy. Like they're you definitely said. not innocent. Right? <laughs> they're definitely not innocent, like you said. But right. they wanted to. They were when we last saw them at the end of season two. Trenton's talking about like Angela. Uh, can we undo this thing? And she's talking about it from a different standpoint. So they, I think, felt a lot of. Uh, they felt bad about what had happened, or they didn't. They did the, the the unintended consequences that have arisen seem to weigh very heavily on the two of them. Yeah, I think um, you know one of the other pieces of that is uh, we, you know, we spent um, much of the time with Mobley and Trenton last season watching them try to zigzag their way through uh, an, a seemingly inevitable collision course with the Grim Reaper. Like it felt like they felt like their lives were in imminent jeopardy. And you really like you lived in the panic of that with them when you were in those scenes with them, especially I feel like with with Mobley, where he, you know, he was like, you know, pale as a sheet. Right. You know, like he was right. really like he was like sickly looking like you could with you could the Cisco feel truck behind him throwing cell phones away 
Right. You could like you could really feel like the um, like the like the anxiety was really palpable. Uh, like yes. that sense of dread was really uh, excellently portrayed. Uh, and there was that whole episode of season two that is uh, Elliot Free. Uh, I believe the first Elliot Free episode of the entire series uh, where Mobley and Trenton are big factors in it. And then suddenly they disappear. And like you just imagine uh, what may have happened to them. and You catastrophize and like having lived in their head spaces of knowing just like how how deeply terrified they were and for such a prolonged period of time how terrified they were um you know that was a really kind of like uh mentally and emotionally exhausting thing to endure and so there's a sense of relief when you see in that post uh that post season scene in season two that they're alive you know like you're suddenly like very relieved for them then suddenly again very worried for them that leon is there um and then to now have this final scene with mobley and trenton even though you don't watch them die you do see their bodies afterwards and you see mobley with the gun being forcibly put into his hand and you see you know and you see them like you know like um strong arming his arm towards his head and you see him being like no please don't 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 and trenton being no please don't 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 and this would be awful stuff to have to watch any character endure on any show but these are characters that we've known from the start of Mr. Robot. These are characters who we have seen fear death in such a palpable way. And now we're seeing them meet it and we're seeing them meet it in a prolonged and uncomfortable way. And the nightmare has finally arrived and it is just as awful as they feared. Uh, and, and happy Thanksgiving. I know. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> happy, and it puts a, it puts a real cyclical bow on it because Thanksgiving was the, was the flashback when we saw them first meeting. It was Thanksgiving of 2014, the, the year before the five nine hack. So oh, no kidding. Is that right? I don't even there. I yeah. don't remember that. Yeah, that's the the Ron's coffee's all dolled up with Thanksgiving stuff because we had the Halloween episode where Elliot puts the mask on for the first time and talks to Darlene. We had the Christmas episode where Romero tells Mobley the history of the arcade and we had the Thanksgiving episode where these two meet for the first time. Brutal. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Robot does great holiday episodes. Wow. Yeah, this is uh this is Thanksgiving, Josh. We should all get around the table, break bread, give thanks for everything that's been taken away from us. This is uh you're right. You what you're describing, I think I think for me part of it was that I felt like they had cheated death. Like I felt like they had they had to a certain extent uh to a certain extent escaped and that if they were going to die, they could have died at the end of last season or we could have picked up any time before episode 7 of season 3 them being dead or dying. But it, it, it's clear that the role that they were going to play in this story at this point was that they were going to have the hacks pinned on them. It does seem like it's possible they're going to have more of a role in the story to come because, Josh, we're just going to press reset and all this is going to disappear. Right. Yeah. Angela's I mean, right. Well, I so this is a this is a cool trick that I'd recommend to all of our podcast listeners. Go back to the episode, rewind the final scenes of the episode <laughs> and you will bring Mobley and Trenton back to life. Well, what the hell is going that's on? That's how that works, right? Like, <laughs> she's that's... all screwed up. Did she watch what is that Adam Sandler movie? Click? Is yes, that what it's yeah, called? We're like, <laughs> yeah. What is she, Angela Sandler now? Like, what's happening? This is ridiculous. Quick uh, rhymes, she's yeah. really, she's really gone off the deep end, as you can imagine. Feeling, I think the the idea that you might have been responsible for the deaths of over four thousand people, you're probably going to lean into that craziness a little bit more, just a little tiny bit. Anyway, we will get into that in just a moment. Let's start crawling through the episode in chronological order. 
order. Of course, as Antonio said earlier in the podcast, you can subscribe to what we're doing here on the Mr. Robot podcast by going to postshowrecaps.com slash robot. You will not miss an episode of the Mr. Robot podcast if you subscribe there. We released our feedback show as promised just a couple of days ago. I think a lot of that would still be worth listening to if you have not listened to that podcast yet. And of course, last week we spoke with Cora Donna, who is the uh, one of the writer-producers of Mr. Robot, and he is also one of the co-writers of episode 305, which we were not able to do an independent podcast with, but hopefully that was a good enough make good, uh, was our chat with Mr. Adana. I thought that that was a really great podcast, even if that SOB had known that Mobley and Trenton were going to be dead just one week later. Uh, the, the, Can you imagine? The he knew that the that whole man. time he was talking to us, Josh. Kept a what straight a, face. What a jerk. What a Fidelio'd jerk. his way through this. I love it. Wow. I love it. You know, good stuff. Mr. Yeah. Robot, it's a painful show. That's why, a pro. part of why we love it. Anyway, so we begin this episode. We begin 307 with the late Mobley and Trenton. Uh, and with the late Mobley's roommate, uh, whose throat yeah. has been freshly slit, it seems like. And Leon, uh, as he is wont to do, complaining about sitcoms next to a petrified Mobley and Trenton. <laughs> Night Rider, not not getting enough love apparently night rider not getting a lot not, not enough love it, though it did get theme song love which was great that was awesome uh, it is i believe that was remixed by uh timbaland and magoo uh and so timbaland like the noted producer i didn't know which version we were going to get of the night rider theme i think buster rhymes might have used it at one oh, point i know buster rhymes uh, did because uh i was uh i was driving up to uh emily my wife's uh family's house for thanksgiving recently uh the other day and we were blasting that song by buster rhymes in in the car and i was like oh yeah i know that song fired up i like that <laughs> yeah so it's it's just this is a it's funny to see a rapper delivering this uh this this notation about a song that has or a beat that has been sampled by notable rappers by a note you know a notable rapper himself talking about it. i think that was great a little in joke there but uh what about frazier josh how is frazier smashing that much i don't know <laughs> I gotta be honest. I'm not a big Frasier guy. I don't. Oh, you're gonna say I'm not a big Smasher. Not, I love Smash Brothers. What are you talking about? I didn't realize yeah, that Smash it. Brothers was a thing while Frasier was on. You never saw Frasier playing no, it. It was incredible. No, he was. Yeah. He's a Marth he guy, a right? Machine. Like he likes to play as the Fire Emblem characters. Speaking of not Smashing, yeah. keep talking. Yeah. So. <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, so he's, you know, it's a, it's a great moment. I mean, this is a hallmark of Joey Badass's character on Mr. Robot in season two, where he would just talk Elliot's ear off about the sitcoms he was watching, clearly in prison. Uh, so it's nice to know that, uh, old habits die hard. Though he, Leon hasn't died hard yet. Uh, he'll probably go eventually because it's certainly trending at this point. Uh, he's a man spreader. You look at him sitting on that couch. He he's is. a big time man spreader. He so he should probably go for that alone. You know, I've listened. Everyone's going to die at some point. You know, everyone, everyone we're, we're gonna lose how very morbid we're gonna you, we're gonna lose i mean just in life you know we're all gonna go eventually but on mr robot certainly i think at, at this point i'm feeling pretty pessimistic about everybody's chances i just i don't like alexa when is the end of the world no, i don't like anybody's odds of coming out of here alive uh but i i think that it's you know again like the the episode does a really good job of um of disarming you or at least i felt really disarmed uh by the fact that you know moby's like you don't have to kill us we can work with you haven't enough people died already today 
And Leon's like, my man, relax, calm down. If I was here to take you out, I would have done it already. Uh, and at that, in that moment, like, I really am thinking, like, they're going to make it out of this episode alive, but there is some other purpose uh, for their continued existence. And I don't know what it is, but I'm really curious to find out. And I'm excited to find out, too, because I love these characters. So I'm so happy to have them back on the show all of a sudden. And it's like, ah, <laughs> F you, Sam Esmail. F society, you. Uh, you know, it's, it's great writing. It's great writing that it really, um, at least for me, I'm, I'll be curious to hear what you guys think. If you guys want to send us your feedback on this episode, if you were successfully convinced. But I really thought that they were going to make it out of here okay, especially after a line like that. Yeah, and just the fact that, and we've, we'll talk about it as it comes up in the course of this episode, but just the fact that at the end of season two, the last time we saw these characters, Trenton was talking about this possibility that she might be able to undo the hack. And we had speculated a lot about what that might mean. What is she talking about? Undo it. Is it the fact that she found a way to decrypt the data? Now we know all the paper is destroyed except for 17 facilities worth that made it to New York. But the E-Corp in, in many ways, paper-wise, is just Done and the data is encrypted and the, the the encryption key is gone. So whatever Trent was talking about, I thought was plot armor to an extent. I thought that she would have a role to play in the story at the very least because she was talking about this thing which seemed to be in play for the Dark Army. So I thought, okay, this is all part of White Rose's plan. Now she's got Trenton and Mobley and she'll have the ability to bring this data back. Well, no, they're just dead and the the attacks are pinned on them. So I was certainly surprised as well. And it, 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 look, the, the 3,000, the, the multiple thousand people deaths they're weighing on everybody as well. And we see Elliot, how this is weighing on him right right away. We get right into the episode. I wasn't sure if we were going to get all Trenton and Mobley in this episode, but we, I think, very wisely got right back to the business of the aftermath and the fallout of the hack and the attack. Yeah, I think, you know, in losing Trenton and Mobley, like my instinct now is to say, like, I would I would have been great with like a Trenton and Mobley only episode. But I do think for the momentum of the season, it was really important to keep that ball moving forward. Um, yes. You know, I think that um, I, I, I don't want to call this a chess pieces episode entirely, but I think a lot of it is dealing with like immediate fallout and just like keeping that feeling of dread still in the air or that feeling of we lost uh, still in the air. Um, so I think that it's important that you have um, the immediate fallout of people responding to stage two having been implemented. Uh, so I think it's a great choice that we're getting back to New York and we're seeing those stories continue. And it's a really, um, it, the episode is very light on Rami Malek as Elliot. It's very much Christian Slater as Mr. Robot is the version of Elliot we're getting to spend the most time with in this episode, which I also really, really like. Um, and I loved the moment of watching Elliot become Mr. Robot uh, when he goes to Krista's office and uh, really curious about that being his first destination. I think that's a real clue that Elliot is feeling immeasurably lost in this moment and immeasurably unsure. Uh, you know, he has started to trust Krista uh, his therapist a lot more recently, I think. And for that to be the person that he sought out for comfort, I thought was a pretty fascinating choice. Um, but very quickly, Robot comes out. He's the he's the personality that that comes out and speaks with with Krista here. Has some colorful language in this scene that I sh I sh <laughs> I shan't repeat. I will not. Uh, you know, no, a lot of sugar coated pearls. Yes, yes, yes. sugar coated yeah. pearls of wisdom for sure are being yes. spouted out here in this episode. Uh, but I thought that don't say spouted. You know, I thought that this was. A, I thought it was very instructive into you know getting to know where Mister Robot stands with everything, and I think very quickly clears up the debate that you and I were having at the very end of our feedback 
show just a couple of days ago where we were talking about where was Mr. Robot on the stage to attack? Like, where did he stand on the way that this attack ultimately was carried out? And it turns out, uh, you can't see it, but I'm just like doing like, you know, like I'm shaking my two, like uh, my hands together on both sides, like a little rascal. I was right on this one, Antonio. It's very rare that I get one right. and You don't. So I'm just going to take my moment to gloat just a tiny bit longer. Go for That's it. it. That was the, the end of the gloating. I, my, yeah, my, I'm not like I'm going to help you. My do arms this? are tired from uh, from doing all of that. Uh, from all from the patting yourself on indeed, the back. Indeed, indeed. But yeah, yeah. so Mr. Robot is uh, he's not happy about this. It makes a lot of sense, though, right? Like he's talking right. about how like they co opted my revolution. You know, it's the it's you know the the big wigs at the very top have once again manipulated everything to line their own pockets and to have total control. It was just supposed to be one building, and they totally. Uh, they totally hijacked my plan. Um, so Mr. Robot, he's pissed off. He's mad. And I love that. He wants to talk to Elliot, I'm I'm assuming, because he wants to like – he's going to want to get some – he's going to be feeling a little revengeful after stage two, I think. <laughs> feeling very revengeful. Yeah, he's the architect. He's the one who said – you know, he. I was the architect of 5-9. He's nine. the one who knocks, he's really- right? Yeah, he's the one who knocks. Speaking of uh, speaking of which, did did uh, Trenton and Mobley were they on Walter White yeah. Street? That certainly looked like well, New Mexico. Well, it certainly seems like uh, they were driving off to to Hodgley at one point. Oh no, yeah, and they ended up up with some some yes, Ozymandias. Yes, yes, yeah, uh, that's unfortunate. Yes. Uh, but yeah, this is uh, I, I he he really wants credit, and he's spilling the beans to Krista. He's basically saying a lot about the incriminating stuff, and Krista, in the moment, I felt was not really paying it much much mind. She was saying like, uh, "Oh, you you sure you sound uh, those delusions? They sound like delusions of grandeur." And I loved it when Robot said, "You're indulging me like I'm one of your." nut so patience well yeah have you ever seen a mirror buddy <laughs> yeah you are a nut yeah. you're a nut so guy yeah, you happen to be you actually happen to be one of her nut so patients 100 yeah, yeah, probably yes, that top is what of the line nut so patient yeah you're like the best one the one that she like right will write a book yeah, about one not, day not right, so yeah. fast uh ooh, that's not a thing to say uh but yeah Especially now with those pearls of wisdom. <laughs> yeah, this, uh, this he makes a very compelling case to Krista though about why she should believe him. Right. He says, like, look, Elliot worked at All Safe, which was the epicenter of the five nine hack. You know how he is. He's he's certainly capable of doing this. Don't you think you should be paying more attention to me? And I think by the end of that scene, it sunk in a little bit. Yeah, I think so. I think it, it, it starts to land with her as we're going to see in a, in a subsequent scene, uh, that we can kind of just talk about here because it's neither here nor there later on, I don't think, but she's going to speak with, uh, you know, her legal counsel and. Yeah, Roger yeah, Sterling. Yeah, exactly. And basically be like, I, I kind of believe it. This makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, and he's going to say, no, he's just a, you know, he's just a cuckoo. You know, you don't have to believe any of that. How many people are going to be taking credit for this thing? But it really does add up. A lot of it makes sense. She has been hacked by Elliot in the past. He served time for being a hacker, uh, for computer hacking. He, uh, has, he worked for Allsafe. He worked for eCorp. You know, there's a lot of reasons to suspect Elliot and just the conviction that he is, um, he's bringing to bear. Uh, and I'm curious as to where that's going to go. Uh, at this point, I just have to imagine that Chris is toast. Like everybody's dead, right? So Chris is definitely dead. Like Chris is dead sooner than <laughs> well, most. I- 
I really like what Gloria Rubin's doing. So yeah, she's probably dead. <laughs> yeah, if you're happy, <laughs> makes yeah. sense. I really enjoy that character, so she will probably die. She will probably uh, die. No, this is a this a, this. It doesn't bode well. Although, on the other hand, there are a lot of characters in this show who possess enough knowledge that if they ever were able to put their heads together, could put a lot of they could they could really connect a lot of the dots. And Krista is certainly one of them. She doesn't really she knows about Darlene, for example. But she's not met Darlene. She probably hasn't doesn't know who DDP is. But if you're talking about building a super friends network of people that could possibly take on the Dark Army, then I think Krista has a role in that. Which is, of course, why she'll be taken off the table. Yeah, I think so. Um, so let's let's cut yeah, let's cut to no the good. FBI. We're no more. Re- we're not redrafting. Death no, 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 no. It's too late for that. It's way too late for that at this point. Uh, let's <laughs> cut to the oh FBI, where I think that there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of good stuff happening there in terms of the story and Santiago really just being very panicky, understandably given that we know he is involved in this to some degree. And I wonder just how involved he is, like how much did he know was coming his way um, in terms of all of this. Uh, we see an F Society video that is promising that the 71 buildings was just a parlor trick. Uh, the true act of sorcery will astound in the next 24 hours. We now know that that is a bit of an empty threat to really get things moving in terms of uh, what seems to be, it's going to be a uh, Tyrell is probably going to be pardoned here, right? Like he's already cleared of the Sharon Knowles murder. So nice to know that he's completely out of the woods on that. But they, there does seem to be this dark army plan where Tyrell was held captive. He didn't comply the entire five months that he was there. And he's going to give up the identities of the actual people behind the attacks who we are going to come to realize later in the episode are the, uh, the patsies of Mobley and Trenton. Yeah. It's uh, it, it, in the moment I was, I was wondering like, well, he's, who's he going to pick out of this book like it, Elliot and Darlene that's what right? it you certainly that, seemed yeah. like that was what was going to happen but I it, it makes a lot more sense now exactly what happened so what what do we think happened in the instructions that that Tyrell was given because Tyrell never met Trenton and Mobley as far as I remember or as far as we know on the show so I guess in the instructions that he was given he was told who to pick out like what was either picture or description yeah yeah, I would, I would guess so. Whether it was like mug shots or whatever it was that he is able to, to definitely like, you know, completely, I, it has to be, I would imagine visual, right? Like, yeah, it would in have order to for be. him. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Just in, in terms of, you know, Santiago would know the procedure on all of that. So I think that they would, they would know exactly what to do there. So yeah, I think, I think that makes sense. Clearly he didn't know about Joanna yet. That information is going to come his way a little bit later. And that's going to be a, a pretty grueling scene, uh, when he finds out about what's happened to Joanna and the threat that's being leveled at his child. Um, but he's basically being offered up as he can identify the people responsible for the attack uh, in exchange for immunity. And uh, Dom is really not having it at all. Uh, but Santiago is ready to comply, certainly because he's playing his part in this big farce, in this big charade. And Dom is is smelling bullshit. You know, like she's starting to sniff out. I think that she's really catching on that there's got to be something rotten going on with Santiago. She's like Loki, my favorite character on the show right now because of yeah. that. Because she's yeah. the, the hero. She's the one who's going to bring all this down. And she's the one who's going to take on the rotten, horrible Dark Army. She's the one who's got Dark Army on the brain the whole time. And so, yeah, she is totally oppositional to Santiago. He can't really take a step without her noticing that it doesn't smell right. And I love the physical blocking in that scene. I love how Santiago took over at, at a certain point, really leaned into DDP and said, I'm your superior and, and really 
laid down the law and and push and push that away. That was a I thought the shift in that was was palpable, and I thought it was really really good after DDP was pushing back there. So I, I she wants the dark army. She knows that this isn't right, and I, I just wish that she. I wish Josh that she had previously if we'd previously seen a scene between her and Trenton where they had established some kind of bond or connection because I would have hope that she could that she would feel differently about what had happened we did see her interviewing Mr. Marquesh we, we saw her interviewing Mobley but we never saw that with Trenton so I don't know what what her feelings are going to be when it comes down to these two she interviewed Mr. Marquesh does she really feel like he was responsible it certainly doesn't seem like it so even in this scene before any of that happens she's all about it and and I think that that can only bode well, hopefully, for her role in the story. You said on our feedback show that you thought that she might make it to the end of the series. Do you still feel that way after tonight? I hope so. I mean, uh, you know, all kidding aside in terms of like everybody's going to die and everything, I think that she has uh, – she still has a real active role to play. And she's one of the few people um, who I think, you know – she senses that there's something worse happening here, that this is not all right. You know, she puts White Rose's name on the whiteboard at the end of the episode, clearly still really suspects uh, the Dark Armies, um, you know, the the shadow leader of this shadow organization being still at large and still responsible for this massive attack that has just occurred. Uh, and I think I don't know. I, I don't know how we get from there to her like aligning with Elliot and Darlene. But I feel like that's in the future or some version of that is in the future, whether or not she makes it to the end of the series. I don't know, but I think that we still have a lot more to do with DDP. Uh, I'm, I'm so nervous to like make predictions like that now though. Cause like, I really would have thought that like Mobley and Trenton would have been okay. So uh, like, I'm very reticent to say like, I think DDP will be around for a long time, but I feel like she will be, you know, like I feel like she'll be okay for a bit. And that's probably why I'm wildly wrong. I hope you're not wildly wrong. And I, I just, the, the problem that I have is, and I'm, I'm wondering, like, you, you're right. I think we're starting to sense a little bit of Santiago, maybe not knowing or not feeling like he had a clue as to everything that was going on or having a really important role in everything that's happening. We talked uh, ourselves, Josh, about like what is in it for Santiago? What's the incentive that makes this worth it with his I Love New York snow globe and with everything that he's doing with his mom in particular? What's the switch that he's flipping that makes him a soldier for the Dark Army? All I know is the more that DDP pushes back against him, the more of a liability she is, and I don't know why he doesn't just have her killed. Like That's the part I'm concerned about, but I don't know what his endgame is. So until we find that out, I think she's safe on the board at the very least. I mean, she's been very lucky in these firefight situations, so I'm hoping that just like her badass cop instincts are going to kick in anytime she's in uh, like the, the actual crosshairs. But uh, TBD, TBDDP on that. Uh, I, think you, I, think, I think you raise a good point, though, about why Santiago would just want her to you know, be taken off of the board. And I think if she really keeps barking up that tree with him, I'm a little worried about where that's going to go. Speaking of uh, being a little worried, uh, Angela Moss is not okay uh she is in a bad way uh she and darlene are watching the newscasts and the estimates are around three thousand and climbing in terms in terms of the death toll which is chilling um and angela is talking in a way that is not making sense to to darlene it's barely making sense to us you know she's talking about all those people who died they're going to be okay right and darlene who you know came to angela you know uh 
uh, hot and loaded for bear and like really, really pissed off, uh, I think has now like reverted to like seeing like this childhood friend of hers who, yeah, she's not happy with and she's angry with is clearly in a bad way. And I think she's trying to be somewhat sensitive to that. Um, you know, when she says, I'm going to go grab my stuff and come back, I won't be long. Don't go anywhere. Okay. Uh, I, I really thought that we would not see Darlene coming back to Angela. I thought that she would have to be forced on the run alongside Elliot because I really thought that they were going to be the two who were highlighted as the architects of the stage to attack by Terrell uh, pointing them out. And I was also thinking in my mind at that point, it's like, okay, well, this is the opportunity that the show needs to continue to not tell us what Angela thinks is really happening right now. Like, what does she believe White Rose's plan is? Why does she feel like everyone's going to be okay? Why does she feel like this can be undone? This was something you and I talked about during the mailbag podcast, the feedback show uh, about like what is going on with Angela and like how much longer can Mr. Robot as a show get away with not telling us exactly where she is coming from. And we talked about how like if they find a way to separate Angela from Darlene and like to keep her away from Elliot for a while, then the show has a lot of room to still kind of keep us at arm's length from what's going on with Angela. Um, And so when Darlene leaves, I really think that that's the show's way of doing it in the moment. Um, Of course, by the end of uh, the the Darlene and Angela scenes of of this episode, they're still together. So that question is still in the air for me of like Angela is going to need to like be a little more specific at some point in time in the near future. That being said, she's not right, man. Like she's she's really, really unwell. Um, she's clearly very shaken by what's going on. I think her faith is shaken. And I think just like the the you know, the scope of watching what has happened around the world, like this is uh this is this is uh you know shaking her to her core in a in a really fundamental way. Shaking her to her core, Adana. Yeah, it really has. <laughs> yeah. It it she's 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 shook. She's off. She's off. Like there she's not right right now. She's not right in the head. And I like what Carly Chaikin is doing in these scenes as Angela's going through this she's just looking at her like what the f is wrong with you don't go anywhere like you are messed up you stay here you can't be by yourself like this is how screwed up you are you're being a lunatic right now and we did see why at the beginning of last episode this is so important to her we got some sense of her 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 mother and everything that was connected to that and her mom literally telling her that that this we can hit reset at some point and make this different like this is not our future so i can understand the the sentiment here and Lord knows that Angela has been through some shit, even in the context of this series. Everything that happened with Ollie and her identity being stolen and things potentially being leaked on the internet. Then the guy shot himself right in front of her. The blood got on her shoes and she's really been through the ringer. And then whatever happened with White Rose at the end of last season has really thrown her for a loop so that she's betrayed Elliot. She's in a position where that's occurred on this arc where it makes sense that she'd be doing that, but she's not right. And this is really rough for her. Like she is, she is retreated to this childlike place where she's sitting in front of the TV again, pressing rewind and thinking that it's keeping people alive. And we're seeing the beginning of this in this scene where she's basically saying like, they're going to be okay, right? All those people who died. So I, you're right. Angela is just so, so off track right now. And, and it, I don't, I don't, I don't know what brings her back. I don't know how she snaps out of it. 
Yeah, I don't know. Uh, curious to find out. Uh, nervous to find out. Anxious to find out as well. Maybe if she sees Ollie, she'll be like, oh, yeah, I used to hate that guy. I still hate that guy. Like, I, I do want to press reset on that one. Yeah. And I can't. So <laughs> still got that stupid Josh Groban sweater. Right, so. right, right. That's going to snap, yeah, snap her back into place. Um, right. So let's let's get back to the FBI where Terrell, he, he's going to want to break from this whole interrogation process. He wants to see his wife. He wants to see his kid. Uh, we're going to cut from that to Santiago, who's on his on the phone with his mother, who it sounds like she's like telling people about the warning that he provided her, which is not great. He's nervous about that. Um, apparently, his mother needs some treatments, two treatments still uh, from a Dr. Ziegler, not Wiggler, uh, not a Dr. <laughs> Zismore close, either. Close to a shout out. Yeah, yeah, I thought maybe a, a Dr. Zismore if this was going to be like a real New York moment, but it was not that either. Um, but I think that this uh, you you talked before. Or just a little while ago about like what is Santiago getting out of his involvement with Dark Army? Is he getting a lot of money that is allowing his mother to, you know, be uh, to remain alive if she's very sick? Get treatment, right? Yeah. So that that would be my guess. I think that there is a little bit of an attempt to humanize this character right now, probably for some sort of comeuppance that's coming down the line. Uh, you know, Santiago is not somebody who walks away from Mr. Robot. If Trenton Mobley got killed, Santiago's toast for sure. Uh, and I think I think we're seeing, you know, kind of the the starts of that where he's really on edge too you know a lot of people uh, basically everybody on the show just dangling by a thread at this point um and this agent who comes in stan check i believe is this guy's name awesome name i like stan check as a name it's um, like stan valchek it's like a combination of those two names from the wire it's yeah. great i enjoy it so stan check comes in uh they've got the id on the on the two suspects on sadly mobley and trenton they're going to release a bolo mr robot loves itself some bolos and some more bolos are about to be <laughs> issued here uh and he says Terrell, he says, well, is, is still asking about his family. He wants to see them. And that's going to lead Santiago to coming in and, and breaking the news to Terrell. And like after we have seen Santiago be like really fraught and and um, very upset and, and very on edge about everything that's going on with his mom and the magnitude magnitude of stage two, which I, I would expect he did not expect the full magnitude of stage two. That is sort of like the energy he's putting out. That's TBD, but that's just kind of how I'm feeling uh, in terms of the way that he is just like, you know, uh, projecting himself in that scene where he's alone after he has hung up uh, the phone with his mother. Uh, he's now ice cold when he's coming to Wellick and, you know, is uh, is threatening his kid and saying, your son is at a at a foster home. Nice to know that the son is actually at a foster home, right? I feel like we can trust that. Yeah. Uh, not so One not, in five abuse rate only. It's not so bad. Not so nice to hear about that and not so nice to hear about the fact that this guy is going to make Terrell's son a statistic if he doesn't play his part correctly. Um, and it's around that point where, you know, at first, uh, you know, Terrell is really, he's seemingly, you know, not buying. Like, he thinks that this is a threat. This is a bluff about something that's happened to Joanna. But by the end of it, uh, he's buying it, right? Like, he now knows Joanna Wellick is dead. Like, he definitely seems to be on board with that. And it is not, does not land well on this guy. No, it doesn't. And it is... It's harrowing. Martin Wellstrom, great work, I think, in this scene. It's a silent scream when the door closes. He He's putting up this denial at first, as you're saying, but he now knows, like, yeah, Joanna is dead. This is this is for sure. And you talk about Santiago being humanized a little bit, and I agree with that, but he's a real dick in this scene. Like, he's really a jerk. So he doesn't have to say some dude she was banging, and he doesn't have to say what he says about his kid. I understand he's protecting himself, 
but uh, it is it is it is really he's taking this is the the polar opposite of Tyrell. I'm sorry from Irving. This is uh, this is Santiago really being a jerk to Tyrell. And this is a guy who he knows, like he's met this guy before, and that's why he's in the room with him. So it, it he doesn't have to be as much of a jerk as he is, but it certainly seems like it lands. Eh, it lands. Eh, 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 well, I, leave the jerk on the, on the dash. You eh? know, I I would say and uh, just as as a as two retorts to that is one uh you know santiago put his his himself on the line for really no good reason when terrell ran when he escaped when he left the bunker and that was a very stressful situation where santiago had to kill a man uh and not not just any man but a cop so he's got reason to not love terrell wellick right now and on top of that this guy did just orchestrate an attack that killed thousands of people across the country. So I think that he could be forgiven for being a little harsh, uh, to Tyrell here. Like I'm, I feel, yeah, I feel, yeah. I feel a measure of, of, of sympathy and empathy for Tyrell and like receiving this news. Like the very last thing you ever want to hear is the kind of thing that he is hearing right now. But this guy is a mass murderer. Lest we, lest we forget. I think it is important to remember. And I'm, if the show is going to, you know, for me, um, this was something that I was wondering after uh, last week's episode, and I'm still wondering about it. Like the show has a lot of work to do for me personally as a viewer to ever really get back on board with like really feeling bad for Tyrell Wellick. Yeah, that's true. And I think what what you also said earlier makes some sense, which is like, what level of knowledge did Santiago have? He expected there to be an attack in New York, I think. And there wasn't. Does that mean he thought it was the one building only and not the 71? We haven't seen that scene from Santiago. We already saw the blow up from him when he brought Tyrell back. And he seemed at that time to be frayed at the, around the edges and to feel like he was being taken advantage of and used and they didn't care about him. So it's not surprising he's on edge here, but he really dug the knife. In. That's all I. Oh, have to sure say he did. Sure that, he man. did. But you know, speaking of digging the knife in, what's up with that? Uh, what's up with that knife that Joey Badass has? We know where that's been. It's not. It's pleasant. not pleasant at all. It, doesn't he have a line where he says like, "You don't want to know where yeah. this knife has been"? <laughs> yes, we know. It's in that. It's in this next scene. He he basically says like, "You don't want to know where this knife has been." We know where it's been. It was uh, it was butt stabbing. There was a butt stabbing that went on. Not not great. But uh, I think there's a very important moment, obviously, and I'm not the only one who thinks this. I'm sure. But when Trenton is in the backseat of the car here with Mobley, they're talking about what's happening. And and Trenton says, like, hey, if I don't make it back to my computer, I have an email drafted that's going to go out that we'll send and it's going to go to someone I trust. Josh, this is a major deal. This is a major deal. Yeah, that's great. That's a great pickup. And I I do think that, you know, whatever is is going on with that, depending on I I wonder who it is that she trusts. I think she would probably just say, let's talk about that. You know, wouldn't she just say is it Elliot? Is it Darlene? Yeah, I think that she would say those names to to Mo. I got to imagine that's what I would that's what I would think that it would be that she would say it to to Mobley that it was it was Darlene because we saw that that Trenton and Darlene did have a little bit of a bond it was Darlene who at the end of season one I believe uh, in the in the episode and this is the key thing because we can also talk about what Trenton knows in the episode I think it's episode seven or eight uh, it might be White Rose it might be the one after uh, where Darlene goes back to 
the college campus after F society has disbanded a little bit when Elliot as Mr. Robot pulls the gun on Romero right. and gets him back on board. Darlene is the one that does the pitch to Mobley and they have that conversation about why are you involved in these revolutions and we hear about Trenton's backstory and how her parents were Iranian and came to the, the States and uh, they went into this great these great mounds of debt and are doing things that they don't they didn't want to do now to pay down that debt but they just can't stop loving America. There was a connection between those two characters in that scene and that scene begins with Darlene telling Trenton this is I think the key moment uh, we connected with White Rose the plan is back on. Yeah. So Trenton knows that White Rose was involved. That's why I wish that we had seen a scene between Trenton and DDP because it would be great if that email was actually going to DDP because it was allegedly going to the FBI. So I really wish that we had filled in a blank where Trenton trusts DDP and that's the character. Maybe we'll get a flashback. Maybe we'll get something that that threads that needle. But you're right. If it had been Elliot or Darlene, she just would have said their names. Maybe, but I I think that Darlene is a really good call uh, because I think that the show has laid a lot of track for uh, and and like track that you wouldn't necessarily remember until and frankly that I didn't really remember until you brought it up. But I think if you were to go back and look at it retroactively, like there is a relationship between Trenton and Darlene that I think this would be a nice payoff if Trenton, uh, if her email does go to Darlene. So I, I hope that's where it's going. I hope that it's a character that we know. Um, well, but I if, imagine I imagine the email will will pay off in some way. If it does go to Darlene, it's possible the feds are sitting on Darlene's account in some way, shape, or form because of the fact that Darlene's already working with the feds. Right, and then Dom could find out. Yes, or if it goes to Darlene, that Darlene would take that to Dom anyway or could take it to Dom anyway. So those are certainly possibilities that would open the door because, right, the the fact that Trenton knows, Trenton knows the Dark Army was heavily involved. Of course, that's what Darlene has been, or that's what... DDP has been speculating about and has been pushing Santiago on that it's not just F society, that it's the Dark Army, the Dark Army, the Dark Army. She knows the importance of the Dark Army in season one. She knows the importance of the Dark Army with the events of season two. She's in the room when they're talking about the Dark Army and they're worried the Dark Army is going to kill them when Madam Executioner shows back up uh, after the F society video has been posted that Darlene made. So Trenton has been around knowing the role the Dark Army played in all of this. And you have to imagine that whatever she's telling the FBI that to someone she trusts probably included some large discussion of the Dark Army's role in all of this. And she even knows that the fictional White Rose was involved. So that's a major piece of information that if it's in the email, you would want DDP to have that information. She's the character who can benefit the most from it. So I hope that whoever it is that she trusts, I mean, it could be a new character. It could be someone we've never seen on the show a relative, a friend, someone we haven't really interacted with. It doesn't make as much sense, but it certainly could be that. Uh, But it does seem like she would have some really valuable information. And that's not even talking about what we've talked about before, which is that does she have some way to undo the hack? Does she have some way to fix 5-9, to decrypt what they had done? Does she come up with the process or find a flaw in their system that would perhaps fix everything that had been done E-Corp-wise? And that could be a very valuable thing for Philip Price. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think that's Chekhov's email uh, that is yep. uh, in the ether right now. Uh, we'll move on from this scene, but I, I do just want to just want to know. I mean, the whole the, there's so much comedy baked into into the Moby and Trenton stuff with like just like the the haphazard way she just drives into the car because she doesn't have her driver's license, or uh, Moby being like, "I'm six percent Ashkenazi." Is you know, yeah. <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> you know, it really is a George Costanza type of thing to say, uh, and the Juanita Rosenberg of 
it all. Like, so all that stuff is, is still really funny, even, <laughs> even in light of their demises. Uh, I think, I think that there's some really great comedy that's going on here. So I'm, look, if we had to lose these characters, I'm glad that we lost them in an episode that at least like they had a lot of really great moments in their final episode. Uh, they definitely did. You know, yeah, they, the, definitely the show did. definitely did right by them in terms of like giving them some real moments to, you know, really, uh, squeeze some juice out of these final characters. So I'm, I'm happy about that. Uh, there's the scene with Krista talking with her legal counsel. We've already talked about that to a degree uh, where that is out there in the ether. I'm, I'm very curious to see what's going on with Krista. You know, Mr. Robot, um, you know, say what you will about season two and having a lot of excess story material. I think most, if not all of that, has really been um, has really enriched where we are in the show right now. And I think that has all paid off uh, or much of that has really paid off. So I can't imagine, you know, there's not a lot of superfluous stuff. I think everything is really deliberate on this show. So whatever's happening with Krista, yeah. very curious to see what the payoff on that is. Well, going to and be. I, I like that they kept her smart. I don't mean to, to talk over you there. No, totally. But I, I, the, when we left the first scene, I thought, wow, she's, she, how can she not see this? Like, how is she not putting this together when he's putting it on a plate for her? I really hope she doesn't just keep thinking my patient is delusional. I, this is a short scene, but I think an important one to show that Krista is smart. She's picking up on a lot of what's going on. She does feel like there's something going on. She knows her patient well. And I, I respect that. And, and by the way, as a lawyer, the legal stuff checked out. Like you're not, you, you cannot break that privilege. You, you, the only way you can is if you feel that there's some sort of imminent crime that they're telling you is going to happen. Right. So in the Intent, future, yeah. yeah, in the future, if Elliot is stating something that's about to happen or a role that, and a crime that he's going to commit, she can go to the authorities with that. But in terms of this instance, the privilege would protect Elliot here. He's the possessor of the privilege, not Krista. So I think that that it's fascinating to see, you know, you're right. Like there has to be a reason for this quick little scene. And maybe it's just character work. Maybe it's just keeping Krista smart and intelligent. And if so, totally worth it. But there may be more to it than that. Uh, speaking of not keeping character smart, Angela really is Adam Sandler. Like she really <laughs> is. Like I, I know I said it earlier, but what the hell is she doing? Just rewinding and building the building back up. She She's really gone. Yeah. She's around the bend. If she's like Adam Sandler, is she like Billy Madison and she's eaten too much glue and she's just like completely lost her mind? She's certainly glued to the television right now. <laughs> she is. She's glued to the TV. That's a good point. Uh, I don't know. I I just I, I I how would you even deal with this if you're Darlene? We we left last episode with Darlene ready to go to the feds and dime out Angela and dime out her involvement. Now she feels like she's got to protect her. So it, like doesn't seem like she could even take care of herself in any way. She's spacey. She's out of it. She's round the bend. Like I said, she's totally gone. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know how she TBD, comes back from again. TBDDP. Yeah. Uh, TBD. So. Yep. Elliot is as Mr. Robot. I think this is this is a great under this is gonna be an underrated Christian Slater episode. I'm yes. Oh god, I it's so great. I just love her. he's like stage two was mine, you a-holes went rogue, and he just gets knocked out instantly. Uh and not for nothing, like when he comes to in a couple of scenes from now and he doesn't have his hat and glasses anymore, it's like he doesn't have hat and glasses anyway. So <laughs> you know, like Mr. Robot isn't real. None of this is real. <laughs> so like, what are you guys doing? What does that even mean? Why does Christian Slater not have the hat and glasses? Glasses anymore so uh i've i have asked that question of coradana i do not have an answer for you guys yet but i am fascinated by that that's like my favorite detail of mr robot in a very long time 
he knocked the hat and glasses <laughs> right like, off of that manifestation. It's, it's really like, funny. I too love much. that. Anyway, so we'll we'll get into that after he gets knocked out after he has uh, sought out Irving, who really it's so casual. Irving has well, just like had that big moment with with Terrell, and Sage Two has gone through, and Irving just went back and started like tinkering around with cars. Like, man, this guy is like pretty laid back. Well, and along the same lines as the hat and glasses, like those dark army guys are just chilling with those masks on all the time. Like that's very weird to me that they're just chilling in the back of Irving's uh, Irving's auto garage waiting for someone to show up I guess and see them in the masks like I don't really get why the masks are always on on those guys but yet here we are masks on hitting Christian Slater in the head removing his hat and glasses yeah I don't know I don't know I don't know what's up with that I love that I think that's great you want to go to Mar-a-Lago aka things I never thought I would ask can I say yes and no at the same time? Like yes, yes in the context but, of the show, no yes, in the context yes in the of co- my life. Unless <laughs> yes it's, unless it's co- part of stage three. <laughs> All right, stop that. Relax, <laughs> relax. All right, so we are we are going there for the sake of. I the just show. don't like Florida. Is what I'm saying. That's fine. I know you actually very famously don't like Florida. Yeah, I know. Uh, and so we're gonna go back here, and we're gonna we're gonna get to see. You know, there's a lot of uh, you know a lot of scenes in this episode that are just like dealing with like the immediate aftermath of things we've already seen before. Like we have seen Philip Price and White Rose at Mar. Lago earlier uh, just in episode six and you know this is the same day and now like what was a pretty jovial conversation between the two of them has taken on a very different tone here um, and we are seeing you know a cracked up Philip Price we are seeing a very furious angry um, weak Philip Price, somebody who's been severely weakened, where White Rose is talking about like, hey, listen, you know, it's not all bad news. Like, Ecoin is really going to surge. Like, Ecorp is the very definition of too big to fail. It's going to survive. You know, China is backing Ecoin now, and Philip's like, okay, so Ecorp's going to survive, but I'm not going to survive. Um, and White Rose is going to make it clear that the reason um, she's done so much of this is because. You made me ask twice. You know, you made me, you made me uh, make my request two times, uh, and that is just unforgivable. We know how White Rose feels about her time being wasted. Uh, so it really is as casual to her as a slap on the wrist, uh, which is uh, great material, great material. And just seeing Michael Christopher playing Philip Price in this capacity, this is the kind of stuff that I want. This is what I yes. want to see out of this character. I want to see Philip Price backed into a corner. Uh, I want to see Philip Price being told you're going to take care of all of the logistics of moving the power plant to the Congo. Like you're going to be an operations manager, essentially, to see White Rose talking to Price in that way. Man, Price is not going to like that. Price is not going to be a fan of that moving forward. Dropping some serious language. A few F-bombs are being deployed here in this scene. <laughs> yeah. um, it's great. It's a really this is a great scene. The White Rose and Price scenes are always a treat. This is a this is top of the line. And especially because it's weaving in that post credit scene from season one. We're going to see that again and seeing White Rose kind of respond to that stuff. Ah, it's all good. This is this is wonderful. wonderful yeah, this things. scene was on fire. It really was. And we had talked on our feedback show about really wanting to see specifically. I really wanted to see how Philip Price was going to respond to this. And this is everything I'd hoped for, because this is, as you point out, a broken, defeated man. But he is uh, he's letting his rage show through like this is they're, they're just I love the 
but I won't. Like I, I really love, I, I, I did no justice to that line reading by Michael Christopher, but I really love what he's doing in this scene and, and pointing out all these things. And Angela is brought up in this scene, Josh. We have, we dealt with some theories about Angela potentially being Philip Price's uh, daughter on that feedback show. Uh, that's a theory that's out there in the ether. Uh, she's brought up again and we see that the White Rose was upset that his White Rose says, or, or Minister Zhang says, your job was simple. Manipulate her, control her, your pet project, and you couldn't. So I had to. And Price is really pissed about that. Like he is pissed that 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 Zhang is bringing up Angela again. And I really feel like this maybe does speak to the fact that there's something more going on there uh, with Angela than than meets the eye. Because I'm not sure he'd be that upset over over White Rose bringing Angela or Zhang, Zhang bringing Angela up again if there wasn't more to it. So there's at least a, again a possibility that there's more to this story here. And the fact that even in the in the midst of all of these things where we're telling why the things happened the way they happened angela is a key part in that story uh, i don't think i don't think that's for nothing i think there's something going on there for sure yeah and also the fact that white rose is saying your job was simple manipulate her control her and you couldn't so i had to right uh, i think speaks pretty highly of uh or pretty lowly i guess of how white rose views angela and that's something that we've talked about before too where white rose threatened to kill angela when talking to price a couple of episodes ago of like i considered putting a bullet in each of her eyes like that's really like sadistic language to to use in talking about this character who as White Rose afforded Angela a ton of time, um, apparently showed Angela something to completely radically alter her worldview, where she thinks that rewinding TV will bring thousands of people back to life, potentially. Uh, so for, for White Rose to talk about Angela in this capacity now of like, you couldn't manipulate her, you couldn't control her, so I had to, continues that narrative for me that White Rose couldn't give much of a shit about Angela Moss. Yeah, that's uh, rough, right? Considering where she is right now and, and the way that this has affected her. Yeah, you're right. White Rose couldn't give a shit about Angela Moss. I'm wondering who White Rose can give a shit about. Maybe Grant. And that's it. Like, and I'm not even sure about Grant. There's a lot of there's a lot of teacher and uh, student relationship going on there. But and there's some interesting, uh, you know, calling the partner, calling partner, and seeing that uh, Grant has been in with a White Rose boudoir and kisses on the lips and things like that. I don't know what the relationship is there. But I, other than that, I don't know who White Rose cares about, if anyone. So this is fascinating. How are we going to move an entire uh, collider to the Congo, Josh? Great question. Great question. And Phil now, Price, Phil Price he'll, has he'll to figure it out. He's he'll the logistics it. guy, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah we got to talk to the logistics no guy about pissed, that. Right? Yeah, yeah the, the director of operations. Yeah, can't wait. Can't wait for Philip Price to get vengeance on White Rose. Got to imagine that's in the offing, or at least some sort of attempt. Some sort of attempt is in the, uh, in the offing there. Uh, so let's... Uh, I mean, we've kind of already talked about uh, Leon is uh, is going to call the babysitter. Mobley and Trenton, the George and Elaine. Yeah, I'm the babysitter. Yeah. We'll get back to them in just a minute here. Uh, Robot is going to be taken to uh, the outskirts of a rooftop party where people are celebrating. You are seeing uh, Irving is pointing this out to Robot that like these people, like your mistake the whole time was thinking this was about your silly plan. Your revolution could only happen because it was bought and paid for by people like these. Uh, no matter how hard you try, that's always going to be the end result. And I think it's uh, it's no coincidence that, you know, 
this is like violence on the Titanic that we're seeing, right? Like, you know, that really is sort of the image that comes to mind here. Yeah, I think so. Uh, because the world's crashing down around them and these people are partying. Like, we already joked about that with the, the harp that was referenced in the, the previous speech by White Rose was playing a Nearer My God to Thee, I think, uh, which was the song that the band played as the Titanic was collapsing. And that was being played on a lyre, not a harp. My apologies. Uh, and that brought up the Nero fiddling while Rome burned. But I think there's that aspect of this as well, for sure. And uh, this seems very upsetting to me because Irving is fucking right and it is so upsetting to me just as a human being and as a person that this is this is true this is the way the world works and that the Irvings of the world are always going to clean up after the people that are involved in these sorts of things and it, it's a Irving is there to be the wolf for some poor woman who died a mistress of a senator who's going to have probably no justice and no representation of what actually happened to her and just be swept under the rug and these people will always get away with it and this is the way it's always going to work and that makes me wonder, like, what? why does Irving want to help the Dark Army? What's his role? Like, what is White Rose's ultimate gain? She's trying to hack time. But we I'm, I'm fascinated to know that if this is Irving's worldview and he's right about it, like, what what is he doing? He's a used car salesman and he wants to work on a book and that's it. Like, I don't know what his investment is and why if he's. If he's so cynical or he's just accepted that this is the way and he's found his his spot in, in assisting and abetting what's going on there. I don't know. Because it's a job, eh? Yeah, it's, it's my job. It's what I do. Meat, you know, meat and potatoes I, kind of guy, Irving. I guess. You know, ribs and potatoes. Ribs for yeah, breakfast. So. Not anymore. I mean, I, it sounded to me like if you, if, if you listen to the TVs in the background when Robot first shows up at Irving's um, garage, that maybe Red Wheelbarrow is being spared, like uh, not spare-ribbed. Like I just think that it, it sounded like they were saying, and the basement wasn't on any maps. So it's possible that they were serving delicious food and milkshakes while this was going on beneath them, unbeknownst to them. And I'm like, wow, Red Wheelbarrow is going to get away with this too that is crazy <laughs> where are we going with robot uh as a character not as a show where are we going with this character i mean it was something we talked about on the feedback show of like is this no longer about like elliot taking on industry right or or corporate culture and all of that is this going to be elliot versus the dark army you're certainly seeing like the building blocks for that with robot right like you can imagine the scene in 308 uh where robot is going to like wake up elliot or somehow have that conversation with elliot and be like it's got to be you and me versus them like this has already happened i'm sorry about it i was wrong too we gotta we gotta take out the trash here uh we gotta team up and we gotta take the fight to them doesn't it feel like we're we're getting groomed for that position of robot really taking the you know he's not going to take this lightly he's not going to take the fact that his revolution has been hijacked uh sitting down i think this is a guy who's going to put the hat and glasses back on and get to work pretty soon yeah, I mean, there are some very specific people, uh, like revelers, like, cause this is not the Mar-a-Lago party, but it is a very similar group of people, seemingly. And, and there are some specific ones that Robot can take out that vengeance on. So if you can't, if you can't flip society for, to the benefit of the people, you can take more direct action at those people that are in those ivory towers. And that may be what Robot is doing, because those are the people who, I mean, it, it, the Irving says that they financed his 
revolution or whatever. But when it comes down to it, if you're talking about White Rose and Zhang being in that room uh, and playing that part in it, that that if you're taking direct action against White Rose and Zhang, uh, then you're taking action against those people because Zhang is certainly part of that that system. White Rose is a certain is a very interesting wrinkle and a double and a uh, part of uh, Zhang's character that that we don't really know uh, the the origin of, but Zhang himself is very much part of that of that echelon of society and is is trading in those circles. So if you're coming at the dark army and you're coming at white rose, you're ultimately coming at those people for sure. So hopefully that is what what action you can you're as you're right, you can definitely see the potential for that in next episode or going forward. But it, it, Robot and Elliot are are disintegrated. They're not together and Robot doesn't even have his glasses on. So did he really even see that party? Right. <laughs> Like yeah. I mean, he just saw a bunch of like po- <laughs> like brownish areas with points, like yeah. just up there. You well, know, like, you, know, know. you got to grab that brownish area by the points when you fall in love, right? That's what they say. I believe yes, that is good what old they Buster Blues. Uh, <laughs> all right, well, so that's the end of the episode, right? Nothing else happens. Yep, that is. It ended on the saddest scene, the the most depressing scene. Actually, that was probably the most depressing scene, but no, unfortunately, it did not end there. Nah, uh, what we, we talked about that, yeah. that that long sequence. Uh, we see the the locals in Phoenix, uh, people who work one one of the pers- people who work with Frederick and uh, and Tanya, as you put it, uh, and we see them them probably being the ones as the bolo was put out, who called the FBI and said, "Hey, they work locally. They live here in Phoenix." That gets the ball rolling on that. But the dark. Army's already at the Mobley house. They're already where Mobley's buddy is. Leon says his goodbyes, says, All right, my fingers are crossed for you guys. No, not I, crossed tight I, enough. <laughs> no, yeah. and he's wearing murder gloves anyway, yeah. so he's gotta know. Like this is not gonna end well. It does make me wonder, like, what 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 is Leon's like role in this as well? Like how much does he know? What missions is he tasked with? We saw him meet with Irving in jail earlier in the season, and he wasn't really like in the same planet as Irving. He was saying like Oh yeah, that that I did that. That was fine. You know, that was good. Uh, he was he was thinking of murder and only murder at that time. So it is interesting to think about what Leon's role in this is because that Cadillac. I don't know if you caught it. I had to run it back. It had a keychain that said "World Sexiest Grandpa," <laughs> and so I did. He boost that from an old man. Right. Is there a dead old man somewhere missing his Cadillac? Like where does Leon's murdering begin and end? But he just goes away. He's gone, and the Dark Army and Grant are much more difficult to deal with. Unfortunately, unfortunately that's it uh you know i mean we've talked about this already i don't know that there's too much more that we have to have to discuss i mean there was this plan for uh to crash airplanes i think i i don't know if that was ever a true threat or if that's really just like to add to the severity of the narrative of mobley and trenton being the you know the people who orchestrated this attack in the first place and all of that um i don't know i don't think that there's too much more to to discuss that we haven't already discussed here uh it sucks it's it's a real shame to lose these characters in this way i think it's really it's smart writing it's brutal um it's once again mr robot showing uh showing its fangs and and really being willing to to take a bite out of its cast uh you know in a, in a really meaningful way these aren't series regulars but these are people who've been with mr robot from the jump um and really have been you know um hurley-esque at the very least in my mind uh so we're losing them here uh you know 
DDP is going to end the episode feeling pretty defeated as well. I think that that is really meant to put us in that same feeling of like, how the hell can anyone stop these guys? Like, are they just going to be able to get away with it? Of course, there is a five season plan for Mr. Robot, whether or not it reaches five seasons, you know, that uh, a lot of ingredients have to come together in order for that recipe to play out correctly. But certainly Sam Esmail has more story in mind. So whether or not the Dark Army ultimately gets away with it or not, at the very least, it will not go unchallenged and unanswered. And like you, I'm very interested to see what the plan is for the remainder of the season. There are three episodes left before we're done here in season three. And um, I'm scratching my head trying to figure out exactly where the show is going. I'm hoping for some sort of alliance between Elliot and Darlene and Dom. Um, I'm rooting for a triple DP. That's three D's, a P, and an EA uh, for uh, for Darlene, Dom DiPiero, Dom DiPiero, and Elliot Alderson. Uh, I think that that would be really funny if you want to toss Philip Price into the mix there. I mean, I think that there is potential for, I don't want to say the Avengers, but maybe some sort of like Justice League Dark to, to form together and really come after uh, the Dark Army. Um, so I don't know. We'll see where it's going. But um, another depressing episode of Mr. Robot. So that's great. Yeah. Has there ever been like I'm trying to remember if there's been a character I was happy that died. Uh, I because Gideon was rough when Gideon was taken off the board. Shayla is one of the all time gut punches. Like that is impossible to deal with. I don't even want to think about it. Uh, and and we've taken Joanna off the, the board. Nazis. I felt good about the Nazis getting killed. That's true. When, yeah, that was good. That Leon felt good. Killing some Nazis. Nazi in that the was butt. good. Yeah, yeah, that was good. That was Leon great. felt good about that one too. Yeah, I'm just trying to think. Like they're they're building up antagonists now. There have been a lot of shades of gray on the show. White Rose was a fantastic and fascinating character who's taken a real villainous turn uh, just killing thousands of people because philip because he had to ask philip price twice like that's that's pretty rough like there's no real rooting for that even though in season two i felt like white rose was very rootable uh, i just i i don't know if there's going to be any joy in in seeing that i don't know what other characters there are that i'm just like i can't wait for that character to bite it the show though i think is headed in that direction as you're pointing out where we if we're building a justice league dark or whatever you want to call it we're heading in a direction where I think our characters are more pitched clearly into sides and there are some interesting people that are overlapping in those. And there are some people that can go from one side to the other, like Philip Price. But I feel like the dark army is certainly positioning themselves as the antagonists full on and fully. And, and we began this season with, with, uh, with minister Zhang basically saying, like after Mr. Alderson has completed his work for us, then he can die for us, just like his father did. So it makes you wonder, what's the ticking clock on Elliot? Like, why is Elliot even still alive? Why, if you're going to frame Trenton and Mobley for this thing, what role does Elliot still have to play? He's a huge dangling liability at this point. I'm not sure why he's still around. Stage two was executed. I'm still worried about that. And the fact that White Rose thinks Elliot can die and that Grant that Grant has thought that, I'm, I'm just concerned about those things. I'm, I'm concerned about them as well but uh irving didn't kill elliot and didn't have elliot killed when elliot came to check on irving so right that's what i'm wondering like why is he still alive like what what role does he still have to play in the eyes of the dark army there's no i don't understand why they wouldn't just take him off the board at this point so i am curious to see how that all plays out because right now they seem so antagonistic and so oppositional and you're right we seem to be building to a place where elliot is going to want to take action against them as elliot or Mr. Robot. So I 
don't understand why they have not taken him off the board yet. And I'm fascinated by the idea that there's a reason why he's still alive. He still still has work to do for White Rose. Uh, what what could that be? What role could he serve? Are we going to find that out before the end of this season on a five season arced show? Who knows? But uh, it, it is interesting to me that that wasn't even in jeopardy. I never felt scared about that. They hit him in the head. Like I never felt scared about that throughout the course of this show. And I'm not scared about it right now because of that, because it didn't happen. And we still haven't seen that put together. So I'm waiting on that. I'm waiting to find out why that hasn't happened or, or what role that is. All right. So we are waiting to see what's going to happen in these final three episodes of Mr. Robot season three. We'll be back next week with another podcast talking about episode eight of season three. Subscribe to what we're doing. Postshowrecaps.com slash robot. Your ratings and reviews greatly appreciated. If you are an American and you're here in the United States and you're celebrating Thanksgiving, happy Thanksgiving. Hope you guys are filled with turkey and you get some sleep and you get some time off of work. If you are not celebrating thanksgiving i hope you are well and even well lick uh anyway i hope that you are having a great time antonio i hope that you and your family you guys have a happy thanksgiving uh i plan to eat as much turkey as humanly possible and try to fit a nap in somewhere and try to just erase the 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 tragic memories of episode seven from my mind at least for for i would give it like a day uh before i before i rewatch this episode of mr robot i'm gonna try and take a, a hard day off here if i can <sighs> you, yeah it's a good good Thanksgiving day to take off for sure. And uh, yeah. I wish the same to you and yours, Josh. A happy Thanksgiving and a happy Thanksgiving to everyone out there listening if you're in uh, one of the countries that's celebrating Thanksgiving this week. And if you're not, I hope you had a good one already. I hope so, too. All right. We will be back next week with our episode, Season 3, Episode 8 podcast coming your way in just a week. Take care, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye, friends. <laughs>